come back. Do join us on Facebook Live if you can, this time on a Thursday, as we say hi to Steve Vines. Good morning, Steve. How's it going? Good morning. <sighs> from, yeah, it's from it's... the evil lair in Sai Kung, and I have a funny feeling that's why it's <laughs> going to stay for a few weeks. <laughs> I, I speak to you from a secure bunker here. Yeah, good to be back with you, Steve. So what's going on? Obviously, yesterday it was the delayed policy address. I made a, I made a comparison to your average Wagner opera yesterday. It was a record beater lengthwise. Oh, oh yes, it was. And I mean, it, uh, because um, Carrie Lamb is well known for her stunning oratory, um, it managed to put various members of the administration to sleep. I see that the, the, the lamentable, um, what's his face, uh, Constitutional Affairs Secretary, managed a quick quick bit of shut-eye before realising that not only was he quick shut-eyeing, but he was being caught on camera so doing. Yeah. So prompt up in his seat. He, he's the man who, who rather, you know, prefers to listen to, to the real boss, not the deputy mayor, hmm. which I believe it's the new term that's being applied to Carrie Lamb in, 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 in circles. Credit where it's due, Steve. You talk about oratory skill, but the stamina was quite stunning. I mean, purely oh, purely on a technical level. She's a she's a she she's a she's a beaver away. I will say that for Carrie Lamb. <laughs> Two hours and whatever. Goodness me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With, with not a, not a glass of gin to fortify her. Although I don't know, maybe that water was gin. But um, well, I got to ask you what you think about it. We heard a quote from Regina this morning saying basically there wasn't a lot in there for Joe Hong Konger, and that was her saying it. Well, here's the here's the thing. Um, it was it was uh, of course not a policy address. It was like a a, a report to the bosses. Um, I think uh, one of the opposition legislators um, called it the the Greater Bay Area report. And what was staggering about this? I mean, if you are going to spend two hours and claim to have unveiled two hundred initiatives and claimed that of those seven were only achieved by visiting Beijing and asking permission from the bosses. Uh, among the seven, I mean, you, you, you realize how spurious all of this is because among the seven great achievements of this visit to Beijing, which caused a delay of over a month in delivering the policy address, mm -hmm. was permission to extend mutual trading of shares. Um, gosh, I thought that had already that was, been that achieved. Was a sexy bit. <laughs> yeah, that was the really that was the one that got my little heart throbbing. But that, but but not only, of course, is it nonsense. But all of this, um, you know, there is the Hong Kong Connect scheme, which already does this. I mean, this is just nonsense. Every time you hear a leader, and it's not just Carrie Lam, it's others who say, uh, "Well, I have got a plan, and I have now uh, initiated a three thousand four hundred and twenty-two initiatives." You know for a fact that at <laughs> best. Half of them have already been in place. Yeah. Another half are um, of, of dubious value, and one or two are probably okay. Well, you know that thing about tell them, tell them again, and tell them you've told them. I mean, Alvin has joined us on Facebook Live. He pretty much says the same as you. He said, what boggles the mind about this policy address is the unnecessary delay in delivering it when everything on offer was already on the table. Well, Alvin has a point. That's all I could say. I mean, you look at this policy address. Was it a clarification, would you say? Sorry. More of a clarification. Well, I think it's it was, official. I, I, said there was a, there, there most certainly were elements of clarification. But I mean, this is, this is a typical mainland style report to the bosses. If you were a provincial chief, and remember, 
of course, Carrie Lam doesn't even have that status. She she really is. I like this term, deputy mayor. Um, she she really is a sort of low level functionary now, and she made all of the big points of the speech were you know how we could enhance uh, cooperation between Hong Kong and the Greater Bay Area. GBA, actually. You know. GBA, GBA. Um, oh, incidentally, in case anybody's missed this, you know there's a new GBA office being set up in Hong Kong. Can I tell you how exciting that is to the average person? Or maybe it's just me. I'm really animated by the thought that there is now a GBA office Where in is Hong it? Kong. Uh, don't know that. QED. But, you know, if I, if I get the details, you will be the first to have them. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Yeah. But, you know, among these, these wonderful things that are going to happen, is the Hong Kong taxpayer is going to be allowed to bail out the completely ailing and hopeless Zhuhai International Airport. Yeah, tell me about that. Great. I'm so pleased I'm going to contribute to the Zhuhai Airport. That's been one of the things that I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Is this where you have to reiterate my tax dollars, those three words? My tax dollars, yeah. Uh, but by the by, what's, what's up with this continuing plan to build a third runway? at the Hong Kong International Airport. You know, I don't know, have you heard there's some virus going around that seems to have changed travel plans rather fundamentally? Everybody else who can read and write is saying the entire future of air travel is going to be transformed by this. And we need to think very carefully about how in the future airports develop, how airlines manage to cope with this, only in Hong Kong. Is it totally ignored? They go, oh, we've got a plan. We've got a plan. We've already said we're going to build a third runway. So, oh, anyway, it's taxpayers' money. So, you know, it doesn't really, it's not real money. So nothing about that. But really worryingly, nothing about anything. I mean, what is the plan? This is a policy address. What is the plan? Jumbo restaurant. To, well, I was going to say to achieve economic recovery. We're having very, very high levels of unemployment. We're having very high levels of business closure. We're having very high levels of increase in the poverty level. Where, anywhere, I challenge you to find it in this policy address, are these fundamental questions being addressed. What is being addressed is a, a cockamamie scheme to give, um, what is it, 2,000, I'm just looking at my notes, I think it's 2,000 Hong Kong uh, graduates or are they just young people like the job, job club in the greater bay area the job, job club in the greater bay area and the, and the government will fork out 80 percent of which well first of all 2000 is a rather small number yeah and secondly really is that the best you can do uh, then we've got um of course the great mother of them all the the big scheme to yeah. empty out hong kong's You're coffers to say Lantern, which yet again Carrie Lam said, oh, well, you know, well, we've got a scheme going, so, you know, we mustn't change our, our plan. So she says, oh, we're still going to go ahead with this extraordinary $624 billion redevelopment of, of Lantau, Lantau Vision, whatever it's called. Really? Really? Is that the priority at this time? I think at this time, people are saying, we would like our tax dollar to do something to improve people's livelihoods today, not in the extremely distant future. Oh, and by the way, yeah. not in a way that basically lines the pockets 
of property developers who last time I looked were not the poorest people in Hong Kong. Well, you're getting a lot of mirrors going on this morning because I had an email early this morning from Richard who must have watched or listened yesterday on Radio 3, of course. Uh, He says, grandiose schemes (coughs) and GBA, quote, young person, if you want a job in the future, go work in China. And Richard carries on. He says, the Lantau Concrete Project remains a priority for a population of reduced size as some will be in the GBA and others will have left Hong Kong. Pouring concrete to solve problems tomorrow that will not exist then. Struth, says Richard. Hey, well, Richard has a point, if you ask me. I mean, the problem with this is is it shows you that the government has no real plan other than mega projects. The fact that every mega project which has been undertaken in recent years has been an abysmal failure, a bridge to nowhere, the, the consistently... I can't even begin to describe it, but the consistently um, half-cocked implementation of the extension of the MTR, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you choose your mega project and you will find that it's a cock-up. I want to chuck in what I said to you months ago right now, Steve. We were talking about the, I think it was it was called something else, wasn't it, when CY was on about it. Um, land out tomorrow. Anyway, um, the, oh, you're talking about the West Kowloon development? No, 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 no. The, land, land, the Lantau Tomorrow Project. Basically, oh, I asked you months ago, is the to-do list, bearing in mind all the stuff you've just said, is the to-do list now just too astronomically huge so we don't need to worry that much trying to be a bit glass half full here? Well, it needs doing, I wish, it? Uh, I, I wish any of that was, was true. I mean, what really worries me is we are going into a major economic recession well, that adds in to fact, what I just said, I think. Yes, indeed. Yeah. The, the, the lavish provision of taxpayers' money to fund all this nonsense is going to be under extreme pressure. A sensible person says, anybody who's in their own home says, you know, yesterday I, I had, you know, 100,000 bucks in the bank. Today I've got 80,000. I tell you what, mm. I think we better economize a bit. I think we better spend less money and try and make the 80,000 work for us, you know, stretch it out. When you've got a bunch of unelected bureaucrats running the show, their attitude is, ah, you know, if we've got to make cuts, we've still, you know, we can still chip away at um, at the poor because, you know, they're already poor and, and the elderly, well, they're going to die quite soon. So we'll, we'll do nothing for them. This policy address had zero to help an increasingly ageing population. Back to Richard's comment for a second. The thing about people leaving Hong Kong, I absolutely don't know, but the word on the street is lots and lots of people are and are planning to, for whatever reason. I think the numbers of people who are going to leave Hong Kong, we haven't really seen that realised yet. But if you look at any indicator that you care to look at, I was interviewing a teacher last week Mm. and he told me, I was absolutely staggered. He's a teacher in a, a a pretty, you know, it's not a sort of high society um, local school, said of his graduating class, half, half of the students have now gone abroad. That's staggering, you know. So, I, it's yeah. anecdotal, but it's staggering. If you look at the um, DGS, which is one of the... Um, uh, what do you call it? The, 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 the most famous schools in Hong Kong. Yeah. For the first time in its history, it is having to advertise for students. People used to be queuing up 
round the block to get into DGS. Why are they looking for students? Because so many have left. So, you know, the, the, the trickle of immigration, I think, is turning into a flood. What's most worrying about it, of course, is that immigration has a tendency of depriving wherever the people are emigrating from of the brightest and the best. Mm. First of all, you need means to, to emigrate. You, you know, ordinary people, it's just not an option. So you need sure. some talent, you need some money, you possibly need some connections overseas, all of these things. So, you know, this is an enormous problem. What is the Hong Kong government doing to address this? They have an idea. They're going to spend more money on an international propaganda campaign to extol the virtues of the national security law or of all the other things. And who's that exactly for, do you reckon? Because people here are... God knows. I mean, if it's anything like their previous, you know, their previous completely cockeyed attempts at telling the rest of the world how wonderful Hong Kong was... Um, I have no idea. What will the slogan be? There's one for our listeners this morning. (laughs) I don't think they have much of an idea who it's aimed at. But I think, again, because this is a school report to the bosses, they can say to the bosses in Beijing, oh, we're well aware of all those smelly foreigners criticising us. We're on to it. We're going to launch a a propaganda campaign. Don't you worry, comrade. We've got this under control. So Alvin says on the matter of Lantau, it's important to note that Hong Kong doesn't lack places to live. It is the cost of living in a flat that's killing everyone. And Rick seems to think they want a certain category of person to leave. So the cost of living in a flat, that that's the killer, says Alvin. Well, the cost of uh, living in, you know, cost of renting a flat, of course. Yeah. I mean, yes, you, you know, the, these are very real problems. And of course, these can be addressed. This isn't the idea that all of this is forever cast in stone is is complete and utter nonsense. What you can do if you had a government that actually cared about its um, citizens is you would implement policies that address this very fundamental need for housing, Mm. would be restoring the quality of the existing housing stock. We've seen with the tragic fire in Jordan a couple of weeks ago, what happens when you do nothing whatsoever to, to improve the quality of tenements and that doesn't necessarily mean pulling them down there are innovative ways of improving the housing stock there are innovative ways of finding land for development without destroying the environment close to land so you know it's not as though it's a hopeless deal it all of this can be done I've got one to chuck in. You'll like this, Steve. I've got one to chuck in before the news, which is in a couple of minutes. This is from Sterling. Check it out. He says, I was a consultant to the airport authority in the 96 to 98 period of the lead up and the opening of the airport. At that time, the passenger volume forecast for capacity of the two two runways was 80 million per annum. Then the mix of aircraft types changed from larger international flights to many more smaller capacity, quote, local flights. So the aircraft uh, frequently rose. And that's why the third runway was declared necessary way before the max passenger volume would be reached. And he concludes, and the volume forecast now is question mark. Yeah, well, isn't that's a, that's a very interesting insight. Indeed. I mean, there is nobody. I, I don't know what other people, or in fact, the listener has, has done it by way of looking into this, but I'm actually quite interested in this subject. So I have been reading quite a lot. There is no forecast that I've seen anywhere, I don't think I need to qualify that, anywhere that says that passenger uh, flows will increase. 
we've seen this exponential rise mm. of air travel over the last decade. Nobody believes that's going to happen mm. anytime right. soon. Sit tight for a couple of minutes, Steve, because it's very nearly time for the news. Got a few messages to read out afterwards. So, um, called it the the Greater Bay Area Report, and what was staggering about this? I mean, if you are going to spend two hours and claim to have unveiled 200 initiatives and claimed that of those, seven were only achieved by visiting Beijing and asking permission from the bosses. Among the seven, I mean, you, you, you realize how spurious all of this is because among the seven great achievements of this visit to Beijing, which caused a delay of over a month in delivering the policy address, mm -hmm. was permission to extend mutual trading of shares. Um, gosh, I thought that had already been achieved. <laughs> yeah, that was the really that was the one that got my little heart throbbing. But that, but but not only, of course, is it nonsense. But all of this, um, you know, there is the Hong Kong Connect scheme, which already does this. I mean, this is just nonsense. Every time you hear a leader, and it's not just Carrie Lam, it's others who say, uh, "Well, I have got a plan, and I have now." Uh, initiated 3,422 initiatives. You know for a fact that at <laughs> best half of them have already been in place. Yeah. Another uh, half are um, of, of dubious value and one or two are probably okay. Well, you know that thing about tell them, tell them again and tell them you've told them. I mean, Alvin has joined us on Facebook Live. He pretty much says the same as you. He said, what boggles the mind about this policy address is the unnecessary delay in delivering it when everything on offer was already on the table. Well, Alvin has a point. That's all I could say. I mean, you look at this policy address. Was it a clarification, would you say? Sorry. More of a clarification. Well, I think it's it was, I, I, said there was a... There, there most certainly were elements of clarification. But, I mean, this is, this is a typical mainland-style report to the bosses. If you were a provincial chief, and remember, of course, Carrie Lam doesn't even have that status. She, she really is. I like this term, deputy mayor. Um, she, she really is a sort of low-level functionary now. And she made all of the big points of the speech were, you know, how we could enhance uh, cooperation between Hong Kong and the Greater Bay Area. GBA, actually. You know, the GBA. GBA. Um, <laughs> oh, incidentally, in case anybody's missed this, you know there's a new GBA office being set up in Hong Kong. Can I tell you how exciting that is to the average person? Or maybe it's just me. I'm really animated by the thought that there is now a GBA office Where in is Hong it? Kong. Uh, don't know that. QED. But, you know, if I, if I get the details, you will be the first Thank to have them. You. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, among these, these wonderful things that are going to happen is the Hong Kong taxpayer is going to be allowed to bail out the completely ailing and hopeless Zhuhai International Airport. Yeah, tell me about that. Great. I'm so pleased I'm going to contribute to the Zhuhai Airport. That's been one of the things that I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Is this where you have to reiterate my tax dollars, those three words? My tax dollars, yeah. Uh, but by the by, what's, what's up with this continuing plan to build a third runway at the Hong Kong International Airport? You know, I don't know. Have you heard there's some virus going around that seems to have changed travel plans rather fundamentally? Everybody else who can read and write is saying the entire future of air travel is going to be transformed by this. And we need to think very carefully about how in the future 
airports develop, how airlines manage to cope with this. Only in Hong Kong is it totally ignored. They go, oh, we've got a plane, we've got a plane. We've already said we're going to build a third runway, so, oh. Anyway, it's taxpayers' money, so, you know, it doesn't really, it's not real money. So nothing about that. But really worryingly, nothing about anything. I mean, what is the plan? This is a policy address. What is the plan Jumbo restaurant. to, well, I was going to say, to achieve economic recovery? We're having very, very high levels of unemployment. We're having very high levels of business closure. We're having very high levels of increase in the poverty level. Where, anywhere, I challenge you to find it in this policy address, are these fundamental questions being addressed. What is being addressed is a, a cockamamie scheme to give, um, what is it, 2,000, I'm just looking at my notes, I think it's 2,000 Hong Kong uh, graduates, or are they just young people? Like the opportunity job, job club in the Greater Bay Area. The jo job club in the Greater Bay Area, and the, and the government will fork out 80% of which, well, first of all, 2,000 is a rather small number. Yeah. And secondly, really, is that the best you can do? Uh, then we've got, um, of course, the great mother of them all, the, the big scheme to yeah. empty out Hong Kong's coffers, which yet again, Carrie Lam said, oh, well, you know, well, we've got a scheme going, so, you know, we mustn't change our, our plan. So she says, oh, we're still going to go ahead with this extraordinary $624 billion redevelopment of, of Lantau, Lantau Vision, whatever it's called, Really? Really? Is that the priority at this time? I think at this time, people are saying, we would like our tax dollar to do something to improve people's livelihoods today, not in the extremely distant future. Oh, and by the way, yeah. not in a way that basically lines the pockets of property developers who last time I looked were not the poorest people in Hong Kong. Well, you're getting a lot of mirrors going on this morning because I had an email early this morning from Richard who must have watched or listened yesterday on Radio 3, of course. Uh, he says, grandiose schemes in GBA, quote, young person, if you want a job in the future, go work in China. And Richard carries on. He says, the Lantau Concrete Project remains a priority for a population of reduced size as some will be in the GBA and others will have left Hong Kong. Pouring concrete to solve problems tomorrow that will not exist then. Struth, says Richard. Hey, well, Richard has a point, if you ask me. I mean, the problem with this is, is it shows you that the government has no real plan other than mega projects. The fact that every mega project which has been undertaken in recent years has been an abysmal failure, the bridge to nowhere, the, the consistently... I can't even begin to describe it, but the consistently um, half-cocked implementation of the extension of the MTR, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you choose your mega project and you will find that it's a cock-up. I want to chuck in what I said to you months ago right now, Steve. We were talking about the, I think it was it was called something else, wasn't it, when CY was on about it. Um, land out tomorrow. Anyway, um, the, oh, you're talking about the West Kowloon No, 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 no. The, land, the Lantau Tomorrow Project. Basically, oh, I asked you months ago, is the to-do list, bearing in mind all the stuff you've just said, is the to-do list now just too astronomically huge so we don't need to worry that much trying to be a bit glass half full here? Well, it needs doing, I wish, I, I wish any of that was, was true. I mean, what really worries me is 
we are going into a major economic recession. Well, that adds to what I just said, I think. Yes, indeed. The, the, The lavish provision of taxpayers' money to fund all this nonsense is going to be under extreme pressure. A sensible person says, anybody who's in their own home says, you know, Yesterday, I, I had, you know, 100,000 bucks in the bank. Today, I've got 80,000. I tell you what, mm. I think we better economize a bit. I think we better spend less money and try and make the 80,000 work for us, you know, stretch it out. When you've got a bunch of unelected bureaucrats running the show, their attitude is, ah, you know, if we've got to make cuts, we've still, you know, we can still chip away at... Um, at the poor because you know they're already poor and, and the elderly well they're going to die quite soon so we'll we'll do nothing for them this policy address had zero to help an increasingly aging population back to rich's comment for a second the thing about people leaving hong kong i absolutely don't know but the word on the street is lots and lots of people are and are planning to for whatever reason i think the numbers of people who are going to leave Hong Kong, we haven't really seen that realized yet. But if you look at any indicator that you care to look at, I was interviewing a teacher last week and he told me, I was absolutely staggered. He's a teacher in a, a, a pretty, you know, it's not a sort of high society um, local school, said of his graduating class, half, half of the students have now gone abroad. That's staggering, you know. So, I, it's yeah. anecdotal, but it's staggering. If you look at the um, DGS, which is one of the, um, uh, what do you call it? The, 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 the most famous schools in Hong Kong. Yeah. For the first time in its history, it is having to advertise for students. People used to be queuing up round the block to get into DGS. Why are they looking for students? Because so many have left. So, you know, the, the, the trickle of immigration, I think, is turning into a flood. What's most worrying about it, of course, is that immigration has a tendency of depriving wherever the people are emigrating from of the brightest and the best. Mm. First of all, you need means to, to emigrate. You, you know, ordinary people, it's just not an option. So you need sure. some talent, you need some money, you possibly need some connections overseas, all of these things. So, you know, this is an enormous problem. What is the Hong Kong government doing to address this? They have an idea. They're going to spend more money on an international propaganda campaign to extol the virtues of the national security law of all the other things. And who's that exactly for, do you reckon? Because people here are... God knows. I mean, if it's anything like their previous, you know, their previous completely cockeyed attempts at telling the rest of the world how wonderful Hong Kong was... Um, I have no idea. What will the slogan be? There's one for our listeners this morning. (laughs) I don't think they have much of an idea who it's aimed at. But I think, again, because this is a school report to the bosses, they can say to the bosses in Beijing, oh, we're well aware of all those smelly foreigners criticising us. We're on to it. We're going to launch a a propaganda campaign. Don't you worry, comrade. We've got this under control. So Alvin says on the matter of Lantau, it's important to note that Hong Kong doesn't lack places to live. It is the cost of living in a flat that's killing everyone. And Rick seems to think they want a certain category of person to leave. So the cost of living in a flat, that that's the killer, says Alvin. Well, the cost of uh, living in, you know, cost of renting a flat, of course. Yeah. I mean, yes, 
you, you know, the, these are very real problems. And of course, these can be addressed. This isn't the idea that all of this is forever cast in stone is, is complete and utter nonsense. What you can do if you had a government that actually cared about its um, citizens is you would implement policies that address this very fundamental need for housing, mm. would be restoring the quality of the existing housing stock. We've seen with the tragic fire in Jordan a couple of weeks ago, Indeed. what happens when you do nothing whatsoever to, to improve the quality of tenements. And that doesn't necessarily mean pulling them down. Yeah. There are innovative ways of improving the housing stock. There are innovative ways of finding land for development without destroying the environment close to Lantau. So, you know, it's not as though it's a hopeless deal. It, all of this can be done. I've got one to chuck in. You'll like this, Steve. I've got one to chuck in before the news, which is in a couple of minutes. This is from Sterling. Check it out. He says, I was a consultant to the airport authority in the 96 to 98 period of the lead up and the opening of the airport. At that time, the passenger volume forecast for capacity of the two runways, two runways was 80 million per annum. Then the mix of aircraft types changed from larger international flights to many more smaller capacity, quote, local flights, so the aircraft uh, frequently rose, and that's why the third runway was declared necessary, way before the max passenger volume would be reached. And he concludes, and the volume forecast now is, question mark. Yeah, well, isn't that's a, that's a very interesting insight. Indeed. I mean, there is nobody, I, I don't know what other people, or in fact, the listener has, has done it by way of looking into this, but I'm actually quite interested in this subject. So I have been reading quite a lot. There is no forecast that I've seen anywhere, I don't think I need to qualify that, anywhere that says that passenger uh, flows will increase. We've seen this exponential rise mm. of air travel over the last decade. Nobody believes that's going to happen mm. any right. time soon. Sit tight for a couple of minutes, Steve, because it's very nearly time for the news. Got a few messages to read out afterwards. So uh, we're on Facebook Live. Morning Brew is the page. If you want to just uh, pop up your thoughts, let's get to the news. Radio 3 Weather. Fine and dry, moderate east to northeasterly winds, and fine and dry weather in the next couple of days. Getting below 20 Celsius into next week in the mornings. 25 degrees now, and we've got 71% relative humidity. 10.30, Sam with the news. The hospital authority says six people who tested positive for the coronavirus were wrongly informed they were negative. A hospital authority spokesman said none had stayed in the community and were, found, were later found already admitted to hospitals in isolation wards. The chairwoman of the New People's Party, Regina Ip, says yesterday's policy speech contained little to address Hong Kong's immediate problems relating to the pandemic and disaffected youth. Ms Ip told RTHK she thought the government hadn't had the time to work out how to win back the hearts and minds of young people. And a tourism professor says he's encouraged by plans announced in the policy address to revitalise the southern district. It includes the jumbo floating restaurant in Aberdeen being donated to Ocean Park to run as a heritage and tourism attraction. Professor Brian King from Polytechnic University praised the vision of connecting landmarks but said local residents should embrace the proposal because it would improve quality of life. I'll have more news at 11 o'clock.
as the lady said. More news at 11 o'clock. Steve. Well, I think uh, uh, because the um, policy address is the gift that keeps giving, we also need to mention some other aspects of it. Find me a the good one we... as well at some stage before now and when we finish. OK. I'll give you a heads up on that. Sorry, oh. off you go. OK, all right. Why do you ask these hard questions? <laughs> well, yeah, we'll come back to the good thing. OK. But, but the chilling thing in here was, um, as well as the triumphist, you know, we have solved the political situation here by banging everybody in jail, introducing the national security law and uh, uh, suppressing protests and all of this. I mean, in this, you have you have uh, Carrie Lamb transformed into the original Mr. Quisling in, in um, Norway, who triumphantly announced after Norway associated itself with the uh, fascist regime in Germany, that they had eliminated all protests forever in Norway. Um, that plan didn't work, go according to plan any more than the solemn assurances that uh, the deputy mayor has given to her bosses in Beijing that protest has been entirely eliminated in Hong Kong. Mm. Yes, people are not on the streets, certainly not in great numbers. Yes, political organisations have been dissolved. Yes, people have left Hong Kong because they're frightened of the consequences, etc., etc. This is all true. Have has Hong Kong have the hearts of Hong Kong people been transformed? Let history be the judge of that. I, I'm already confident of what the answer to that rhetorical question is. But you know, in in the in the policy address, we see other measures, chilling announcements of how the government is going to go into schools more forcibly to introduce so-called reforms to, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, general edu uh, it's not called general education, is it? It's called civic education. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to um, make these new loyalty oaths to the regime strengthen so that people can be tapped out of jobs. And when I say people, that includes elected officials, civil servants, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to do um, what, to be fair, they always said they were going to do, but it's now in the policy address. They're going to be rolling out this new level of repression within apparently the coming year. I think that's one pledge that will in fact be fulfilled. Whether the other pledges will be remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. And then you look, then you look at the paltry, paltry measures that have been announced in this. I mean, I was looking you said, could I find anything good? And I, I did scour the entire um, policy address. <laughs> and I don't, know if, I don't know if that will earn me any brownie points. Not sure about that. And I found there was something here. There is going to be, I'm looking at my notes here, and I'm trying to find it again. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There is going to be, and I'm almost embarrassed to mention this because the sum of money is so so. There's going to be $300 million, $300 million. I mean, that's, you know, three windows in the new uh, Lantau um, sink development. $300 million are going to be um, devoted to providing better mental health services for the needy. Hmm. Hong Kong is in the middle of a what cannot be described in, in exaggerated terms as a mental health epidemic. It's a very, very serious problem. And it, it is true that it seems to affect people of lower incomes more than others, or at least that is what is traceable 
in terms of records. $300 million, is that the answer? I mean, you've got money to throw away. It's a, it's, it's, it's a tiny sum of the amount that's going to be thrown at the 2,000 people who are going to be employed in the Greater Bay Area. It's a mere pimple on the sum of money that's going into this new <coughs> innovation and technology center across the border in Shenzhen. You know, if you really had any serious concern for the welfare of Hong Kong people, you would at least direct some resources in that direction. I'm looking, if anybody can tell me that I'm wrong and I've missed out some major initiative that is going to do that, I'd be very happy to be corrected. The only initiative that I did see in there, which I thought was actually quite a good idea, mm. <coughs> was to take over the old floating, um, this is your request for something good, <laughs> was yeah, to right. take over the, the abandoned <coughs> floating restaurant in Aberdeen and turn it into some sort of, um, they always use the word hub. I think I'm, I'm so over that Nasty word. word. But anyway, it? yeah. I'm a, it's a horrible word. I just got a uh, message here from Graham, who's jogged my memory because I wanted to talk to you about this. Change yep. the topic. Let's get on with uh, Mr. C. Ovid for a second. I mean, there's a general feeling right now that a degree of uh, drawbridge pulling up is likely to happen in the next 24 or 48. We don't know yet. He writes something, and I've been thinking about this. Graham says, what are your thoughts of dance studios remaining open when bars, karaoke studios are shut down? Now, what do we mean by dance studios? I'm, I've never really heard of this as a thing. I mean, people go to class. Are we talking, you know, ballroom dancing here, or are we actually talking a hey, dance studios? You know what I mean? Hourly rate, hey. What are we talking here? I'm <laughs> serious. Young dancing ladies. Dance, I think they dance are in... in heavily inverted commas studios. What are these joints about? These, these dance studios are a thing. Okay. I have to admit, I'm not a regular attendee. I'm sure you're not. A... Can I put that out there? But I mean, they are a thing, and you know, why not? People who like ballroom dancing, they like Latin dancing, they like tango and all this, there's nothing wrong with that. Trouble is that clearly um, that we have the evidence, they have been the source of an enormous spread of the disease. We can't close some of them down because they're, quote, not licensed. Oh, okay then, they're not licensed, we'll just leave no, them alone. They're not licensed, they shouldn't be open in the first place. It's just, it's just a weird yeah. scene, I'm getting my head around this, go on. One of the things that Carrie Lamb said in her speech, and again, let me find the... Oh, here we go. It is that in dealing with the um, COVID, COVID uh, epidemic, yep. um, she said political considerations have never come into play. That's a porky. That's a complete porky. Because while you're allowed to congregate, to play mahjong, to sing karaoke... To <coughs> dance to dance in inverted commas you're not allowed to congregate outside where the, the the risks of covid transmission are by every scientific account markedly less why are you not allowed to congregate outside because yeah. they want to stop people demonstrating but what about the bars steve i mean even mr zeman is going hang on a minute i've done nothing wrong and for somebody who's a big supporter of the government to say that's not fair then we're that that's my question to you. So, I think, again, you, you, you've got to look at this, and of course you can't expect the government to look at this in any logical way, but you've got to look at this in a logical way. Is it an intrinsic fact that people in bars are likely to spread the disease more than people in other locations, like restaurants, like on the MTR, like in buses? The list goes on. And the answer is, 
Yes, it is, if you don't take precautions. But the bar owners are saying, and I think they're saying this quite reasonably. They're saying we're being shafted, basically, and we've been very good. We've played ball and that no cases have come out of bars, etc., etc. Yeah. There are no, there are new, no new so-called hubs or whatever your ghastly word that, that have been identified since people became alert to the problem that, that started in the Langkai Fong bar and spread quite rapidly. So, you know, bar owners have taken this very seriously and they're now being punished for the precautions that they've taken. I, I don't think that there is anything in this, unless you happen to be mm. the sort of people who run the Hong Kong administration, who've spotted people enjoying themselves. And boy, is that a serious offence. So if you go, like Carrie Lam does to church, where you're all sitting together yep. and singing, which could be a, a major um, spreading centre, that's okay. If you're having a drink, and my God, how we hate people who are having a drink. Can I just say it's jolly bad for you? Um, you're not allowed to do that. So there's no logic here. People will only respect regulations that make sense. These regulations don't make sense. You remember when they said, oh, well, bars have to close at 10 o'clock or bars had to close at 11 o'clock or whatever bonkers time they, they, they suggested. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. There is no scientific evidence that, that the COVID infection only spreads up to <laughs> 10 o'clock, sort of doesn't spread up to 10 o'clock, but does spread after it. I mean, this is just... <laughs> It's just beyond nonsense. Let's say hello to Umesh, who I think has um, <laughs> written very clearly what I think I was thinking. He says, them dance studios are just pick-up places for old grannies and granddads looking for a fling. And Umesh has lived here for a while, so he knows what he's talking about. Can I just say, nothing wrong with that. Well, really, indeed, seriously. indeed, indeed, yeah. I think we've got time for one more. Oh, here we are. Tommy, do you think they're trying to purposely whittle down the current bars in existence so that mainland-owned ones can move in? I mean, that's it. <laughs> I whatever. Don't. Who knows? Who knows? But the thing, is, the thing is, there with the bars. I think, I think it's the re relentless campaign against joy. Yeah, well, with the bars going out of uh, going, you know, going dark, shall we say, a whole other industries follow suit. I mean, we've heard a lot about musicians. I mean, there's thousands, thousands, and thousands of extremely destitute musicians and performers. There really are, and of course, they are by virtue of their trade, they're freelancers. So, you know, they, they, there's nobody employing them and there's no relief. I'm, I'm very pleased to see, incidentally, there is some relief for people in the tourism industry, particularly guides and small um, travel agents. I think that that's entirely justified. Why is there nothing for musicians and entertainers? Seems to me a perfectly good question. All right, Steve, time for a PS from you. Shall we just have one quick PS? The police decided that when one of Hong Kong's biggest gangsters who had absconded for a number of years came back to Hong Kong, China Boy, as he's known, lovely name, I quite like that, um, it was perfectly all right to give him police bail and he was immediately granted police bail. Major League gangster, nobody doubts that. When Joshua Wong... Um, goes to court, admits to certain actually quite minor offences, he's instantly remanded and denied bail, put under 24, put in isolation and kept in a cell with the rooms on for 24 hours a day. Compare and contrast. Different budget. Take care, Steve. We'll do it again next week. That is Steve Vines right here on The Morning Brew.